run. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And uh, yeah, um, I, Terry, I don't know if you recall that um, that bit of dialogue from the beginning of the episode where it was just a bunch of random cartoon sound effects, but it clearly was in this episode. I was trying not to laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that was just a smattering uh, that. I, maybe not all of those were in this episode, but it feels like all of them were in this episode over and over and over again. So, uh, everybody welcome to the end of uh, season four. It's season four, episode 18, the bard. Um, and so, yeah, uh, this is it for, for season four. Like, we'll, we'll, when we get into the episode, we'll talk about what we're doing next, but, um, yeah, let's just, uh, let's, let's just stop uh, delaying and, um, Let's just get into this. Uh, it, uh, air date was uh, May 23rd, 1963. Number one film, Dr. No. Uh, number one song, If You Want to Be Happy by Jimmy Soul, which, uh, Terry, I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but the lyric is, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, um, don't make a pretty girl to be your wife. Do you know that song? No, I do not know that song. Yeah. That's pretty... It, it goes on, it goes on to say like you know uh, if you want to be happy make an ugly woman your wife <laughs> like it's this whole thing but it's like this upbeat funny song and it's like I don't think it's aged that well just gonna throw it out there um, yeah so that that's that's a thing uh, the the humor of it feels like it's as aged as well as the bard um, <clears throat> so. I didn't find anything for, for the 23rd in terms of day and date. I did find something earlier and then something after. Uh, so on the 22nd, the, I just think this is a, just pertinent because it's a sports thing. Because uh, we don't have that right now, but you'll see what I mean that's pertinent in a second. Um, the American Football League team owner Lamar Hunt of the Dallas Texans agreed to move the AFL champion club to Kansas City, Missouri, and rename them the Kansas City Chiefs. The a AFL trustees would approve this move a week later just because they recently won the Super Bowl. Um, this is when they first moved to Kansas city. So thought that was worthy of mentioning. And then on, uh, May 25th, 1963, Micah Myers was born the comedian, not the killer. Oh, I was really hoping for the killer. <laughs> yeah. Haddonfield. That's where he was born. No. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I like to think that, um, like Mike Myers is, he has existed ever since he's, he's been in this world as long as the bard. I don't know what that means about anything. So yeah, that's all I got for day and date. And, uh, and, you know, the chiefs moved and Mike Myers, well, he moved to, um, you know, from his mom into the, into the world. So two things happened that two things changed locations. Nice. Yeah. I, I didn't have anything. <laughs> I didn't have anything, uh, day and date either, but, uh, I thought that was kind of fun uh, to hear about the Chiefs because I didn't know that they were a moved team. I thought they were an expansion team at some point. No, that's why whenever um, whenever Houston lost the Oilers to Tennessee um, and when they um, 
they they got the name Texans back, even though that was a Dallas thing originally. But there's but like some history there, so that's that's what happened there. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's some sports history. Sweet. Uh, I I miss sports. I miss football. I re- I hope football comes back because I play fantasy football. I know that some of our audience that probably listens out there are like, really you. Me? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am a fantasy football player. I've been doing it for like seven years now, and I really enjoy it, and I miss sports. And, uh, yeah, it's sad that we don't have sports right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to do fantasy football. I realized that the two things I liked the most about it were naming my team something stupid and then trying to trash talk people, and then the people I played with didn't trash talk, and no one appreciated my names. So I just kind of stopped playing. Oh, well, I'll play fantasy football with you, Paul. Okay, great. As long as I get to make a dumb name, that's really where I'm at with that. So that, I always had a bad habit of, um, drafting players and then them immediately doing bonehead crimes and getting kicked, like, like suspended in the league. Like, um, Oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, running back for the Vikings. Um, shoot the big one that, uh, uh, Michael Vick. Oh no, not, not Michael Vick. Vick. Uh, you're, that was, he was probably the other guy in our team. You, no, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> oh shoot. Um, he ends up playing for. Um, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, if, if, um, Adrian uh, Peterson. That's it. Yeah. Like, a- a- AP, yeah. Yeah. He came off like this monster year, and it's like I'm drafting him first, and it's like, hey, did you hear that he he beat his child with the switch? It's like no. It's like yeah, he's not playing this year. I'm like. Oh, like that was like, it was almost like the the day after I drafted him and I was ready to go. I'm like, well, all right, well, it, he needs to be punished because that's a horrible thing. Uh, but as a fantasy owner, I'm just like, well, I don't, what, what, what do I have now? Like, it's like, who, who, who's left for me to draft? You know, like, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I never have a good nose for, um, for the fantasy picks. Well, I don't think that some of the players that you draft are also have a good nose for what's legal and what's not legal. That's fair. Too, That's so. absolutely fair. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, let's just get into uh, uh cast and crew here. All right. So our director on this one is David Butler. Uh, his only Twilight Zone uh, directorial, um, but he did. This was the only thing that I found of notoriety um 58 episodes of leave it to beaver i didn't see anything else that i knew him from so the thing i, I kind of picked up from from this was that he his first acting roles were playing extras and stage plays he later appeared in a dw griffith film um and so he did you know he did work through like the the older age of hollywood um he also appeared in 1927 academy award-winning film seventh heaven not that i've seen that but the he he was like old Hollywood, and you mentioned Leave It the Beaver. He had a background in like a lot of comedy, like TV comedy directing. So you can see how um, something like this, if someone's like, I got this script and it's supposed to be more like comedy heavy, why they would bring him in to try to handle it. Because you can definitely feel that it we're going to talk about the comedy of this, this thing and how it, it, it just, it, it's, it's of a different time, but you can see how everything they were doing was purposeful. And I think they picked this guy because that's, that's what they wanted because they thought that's what would bring this over the line to make this a comedy episode. So I think they believed he was the right man for the job. I can, I can see that too, because I used to watch leave it to beaver when I was a kid. Um, it, it seems to fit that kind of same, uh, 
I, I guess like mode for what what was made out to be this episode. It seemed very sitcommy kind of episode to me. But yeah, we'll get into the rest of that. But um, and our writer on this episode is Rod Serling. So yeah, he's come back again. He's come. He's come back to to um, finish out the season. I, you know, like for for good and for bad. Um, yeah, so that's 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 who we have there. So um, I just want to note here before we get into actual the the cast here. Did you notice when you like? I know you use IMDb for a lot. Like I do too, right? Because it's the Internet Movie Database. That's what you want to use. I will also look up the Wikipedia entries for the episodes and the actors because sometimes you find different information there. Um, it is a rare thing for a Wikipedia article about a Twilight Zone episode when it lists the cast to not even bother listing the character names. Like whoever was editing the page for this episode didn't even give enough of a shit to actually spell out who was who. And I think that says a lot when Wikipedia couldn't even be bothered to tell you who was playing what. That's kind of sad. And I know I, I typically will go for IMDB because I, I think it gives a, a lot more information uh, and then you can trace everything through pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia has not been my best friend on <laughs> information lately. So I have typically haven't trusted it. Oh, that's fair. I just, sometimes with some of these actors that I may not be that familiar with, you can tell if someone was like uh, editing the page, there might actually be a personal anecdote that what didn't a lot of Wikipedia stuff is like, Oh, okay. That looks interesting. You go to IMDb. It's like, Oh, well that trivia just sounds like it was ripped straight from Wikipedia or vice versa. So every so often you find like these little nuggets. So, uh, but either way, the cast was listed, but they couldn't be bothered to list the character names, which I thought was like funny. Like as an entertaining, not funny as in this episode. Yeah. And I noticed sometimes that um, IMDB does this, especially well, it, it might even mention the name, but then they just give like the generic title of who they were in the episode, like yeah. secretary guy on bus. <laughs> Man eating apple. I think that's the one of the ones that we had from uh, season three. That's how we determined it was. Um, oh, what was his name? The guy that's in like eighty some episodes um, of the Twilight Zone. But yeah, uh, so uh, lead the way because I think our orders of our actors are a little different, but that's okay because there's a. I I don't okay. I'm also going to hit the brakes here and say in the last three minutes of this episode, they introduced eight more people. And I'm like, I was already frustrated and mad at this episode. And I'm like, now you're going to make me love eight more people. And I was just, I was just livid when we got to the last few minutes of this episode. Yeah. And, and I kind of got frustrated as well because <laughs> I, I feel like our heavy hitters are in the main parts of the episode where we have more dialogue. Um, yeah. So I've listed the majority of those people. Um, and I'm sorry to our listeners if there's somebody here that I have not, but I'm sure that you will pick up the slack there, Paul. So. I, you know, I like that you're like you're going to apologize to people listening to this episode. They're like, hey, if we didn't come across your favorite bit actor that no one remembers from the annals of history for the episode The Bard, we like that's going to be the the one star review we get like on our like all like the, uh, the iTunes or whatever. It's like they didn't even respect Billy Bob McGillicuddy and his his all his work, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think we'll be okay. Well, 
You never know. I just, you know, I'm apologetic as much as I can be to whoever out there in the universe may have something to say. So I feel like we owe people apology because the whole goal of this podcast is to watch the Twilight Zone episode by episode. So generally the, the, the idea is that they'd watch them with us. So I think I owe the apology for watching this episode. That's that's where I feel like the apology lies. You're giving the ghost, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, please. Uh, the, the actors and, and this three act play. All right. So uh, to begin our act one, uh, we got uh, Jack Weston. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Julius Moomer. Uh, one other appearance in Twilight Zone, and it, it was a big one, too. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Yeah, which I mentioned last week in terms of like if people wanted to go and watch some more of the uh, the ones that like hold the mirror up to society. He's he's in it. Uh, he's um, antic- antagonistic. Like he's not a main character, but he definitely has a memorable role in that episode. So when I saw him again, I'm like, I know that guy. Uh, born in Cleveland. I don't know if you saw that or not. I did um, not. But yeah, that's sweet. Um, he was also like, I, I, there's a, probably other things. Go back, listen to the episode of Monsters of Joe Maple Street. I'm sure we did a, a deeper dive on him. I, if I didn't mention it then, I'm going to mention it now. He was the bad guy BMX owner in 1986. Rad. Like he was the one that had the um, uh, the main guy and the twins that were like you know competing to be the leaders on Hell Track to be like the professionals, and he was the one that kept shitting all over Crew Jones and wouldn't let him race in Hell Track. Um, so he was like the bad businessman guy in that. And so anytime I get to mention 1986 is rad, which is about BMX racing that, um, what was it? Um, vinegar syndrome is actually finally releasing it on Blu-ray here soon. And they're going to get my money. Cause I love this goddamn movie so much. I, I feel like I'm going to let you down here, Paul, as much as a 80 free 80s freak I am and music and movies and that. I have not seen this movie. Well, there's a reason for that. It was only ever released theatrically and on VHS. It never got a DVD release. It's never gotten a Blu-ray release until now. Um, I bought it as a $10 bootleg at, at the cinema wasteland convention that we go to. Cause I saw it. I'm like, hell yeah, rad. And, and, uh, and I bought a copy from my brother because it was like his favorite movie as a kid. And someone took the time to get a decent print of it. And actually when they converted over to DVD, they built a DVD menu and everything. It's like people love, like, it's not, it's not the best movie, but it's still a pretty good movie. Like in terms of the eighties, like stereotypes or the tropes of, you know, um, down on his luck kid that doesn't have much. He's really good at like BMX and like bike tricks. And there's actually this big race in town and he keeps wanting to get a part of it. And the man won't let him, you know? Um, and it has a pretty fun soundtrack. It's Lori Laughlin's first film appearance. So it's like future criminal Lori Laughlin was in this. Um, so, you know, like, and there's a very memorable sequence of when she somehow there's this like dance that's going on. That's for the locals for this hell track thing coming. And she's on her bike on this dance floor, like a high school gymnasium and crew Jones shows up on his bike and they do like this routine together to the song, send me an angel. It's awesome. So dumb, but I love it. That this, I, I was sold already, yeah. but I mean, I'm really, really anxious to see this movie and uh, my buddy and i have had like a bro date where we're gonna watch this and a few other like 80s uh like skateboarding films and stuff like that so yeah like i will i will sit you down once we're able to 
be in public together again, aside from you helping me move a mattress into a house. Um, once we were able to break quarantine, for some reason, my wife doesn't like this movie and I don't understand why she's like, I don't like it. I'm like, you've not watched it, but I just think she doesn't have the heart of a champion and she, you know, she is intimidated by hell track. So I think that's really what it is. Um, but yeah, anyway, Jack Weston's in that movie. I've talked too much about red over top of anything else. We're going to talk about this episode. So I apologize. We can move on. That's okay. Uh, so outside of that, um, he did, he, he, he did, uh, 59 episodes of Brown of the rocket Rangers. I don't know what the hell that is. Rod Brown of rock of the rocket Rangers. I don't, I have no idea what it is. It sounded ridiculous and I needed to list it, especially since he did 59 episodes of it. Uh, a lot of people may know him from dirty dancing. Oh yeah. That he was, was like a, this big thing, the yeah. manager of the dance hall or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was like a resort. Yeah, I think he was the manager of the resort. And then he sorts Short Circuit 2. Yeah, a very recognizable character actor, for sure. You know, um, but yeah. yeah, I just, uh, you know, had to pick, had to pick. Uh, there's another Cleveland connection coming up later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease you with that. And we'll, we'll get there when we get there. All right. So um, next I have John Williams, not the, not the, not the composer, but John Williams. Uh, he plays William Shakespeare in this episode. His only Twilight Zone appearance, and then he did uh, ten episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and he was in an episode of Bal- Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, he had. I put in here um, only Twilight Zone appearance, like you said, two Night Gallery episodes, and then four Playhouse ninety appearances. So, like, I I, I looked in some of this. I didn't actually write it down because it was kind of boring trivia. But of course, I'm gonna bring it up now. He wasn't the first choice for Shakespeare, but he stepped in the last minute. But I would also think that because of his um, association with some, like with Playoffs 90, that he was probably like on a list of like, get this guy, he's British, he could probably do Shakespeare. Yeah, I I feel like he knew stage well enough um, because he seemed pretty charismatic when he was putting off, uh, putting out the lines in that uh, during the, the episode. So um, either way, uh, moving on, uh, Henry... Lasco, uh, he plays Mr. Hugo. Um, this was his only appearance in Twilight Zone, and I didn't recognize anything else the dude did. For a brief second, I was like, is that Groucho Marx in here? That's amazing. And it's like it wasn't him because he would have been too young to be here. But so this episode aired uh, May 23rd, 63. Uh, he, Henry Lasco, uh, died of a heart attack while working on an episode of a show called a day in court, September 1st, 64. Uh, so like wasn't around much longer after this, but the way it was listed on the Wikipedia page. And that's why I want to mention the Wikipedia says, ironically, he died of a heart attack while working on an episode of day in court on September 1st, 64. And I wrote in my notes, ironically, cause it wasn't like, it wasn't like he died on his birthday. It wasn't like something else happened. It's like, why is it ironic that he died while working as an actor on a, a court show? I couldn't figure out why that sentence exists the way it does. I wonder if the episode was labeled like something heart attack or something cardiac. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, cause like ironically would be like William Shakespeare supposedly died on his birthday. Like as the story goes, but uh, I just don't understand it. I'd like, I, you know, that's all I got was like the fact that Wikipedia had to point out, ironically, he died of a heart attack. Okay, great. 
wasn't like, you know, there was nothing stated in his uh, Wikipedia article about like, he was a big uh, champion of heart disease and, you know, none of that. Just, he died, you know, and that, like, he died shortly after this was filmed. So, yeah, I go. don't, I don't know me. if they know what the definition of uh, irony is. Yeah, now. that note must no. have been put in there by Alanis Morissette, but we can move on. It's fine. There you go. So, so uh, next we have Marge Redman. Uh, she plays the secretary in uh, Mr. Hugo's office. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, she was on some of the episodes of The Munsters and on 81 episodes of The Flying Nun. Yeah. And, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and then uh, finally, uh, Johnny got his gun because we had talked about that previously in this uh, in this season. Yeah, we have. Um, so here, this is this is the secret mind blower. Uh, she actually just passed away here in February. So that, you know, that's. It, it, most of the Twilight Zone people that we're going to talk about are gone, but like usually when they they're still around or recently lost, we want to like just point that out because it's still like the show sixty years old and she was still around until recently. Um, born in Cleveland, lived in Lakewood, uh, a West Side oh. suburb of uh, Cleveland. Um, Redmond was the first wife of actor Jack Weston, so they were. I don't know if they were married at the time of this, but they ha- they were married. Um, and then she later in her her uh, career. Uh, she was, she voiced random characters in two grand theft auto games and in max Payne too. Um, and then another thing I want to mention as well is that, um, she was in Alfred Hitchcock's last film family plot. Nice. I, I feel like I might've bagged her groceries at one point or another. <laughs> I, and did she just tell you like, Hey, the way you're doing that, I just hope one day you run out in traffic and get hit by a truck. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Oh no. Oh, old lady Redmond. Like what, why, why do you say that to me? <laughs> that's crazy man i didn't know that there was that close of a connection for both of us honestly yeah um so uh moving on we have uh uh doro morande Merlande? yeah morande yeah. yeah uh she plays sadie this is the bookstore owner yeah i had to um, make a note because i'm like who is this and i'm like oh her yeah i i don't know what i don't know what you have for her but i i don't have much uh, yeah, only Twilight Zone appearance, and she was in the Seven Year Itch with a uh, uh, with um, Marilyn oh my God, Monroe. I, my, Marilyn Monroe, yes. Yeah, I had that she was in two playoffs nineties, which I mean, again, um, not uncommon considering Sterling's connection with that. But I'm not saying that she was cast just because he had written for playoffs ninety. But you know, uh, you know, you're working out west, you're doing stuff for CBS, you know. But she had she had done previous work. That's all I had from her. Um, yeah, we'll talk about her. Me, we'll see how much we get into her. Her that this, there's a lot of things about this episode I did not like, and she was one of them. A yeah, good call. Um, uh, next we have John McGiver. Is there? Or is it MacGyver? Sure. <laughs> I think it's McGiver, but I would love it if it was MacGyver. Yeah. So uh, he plays uh, Mr. Shannon. This is one of the like uh, the commercial guys. Um, so one other episode, uh, sounds and silence. Silence. Yeah. So we'll get to him in season five. Uh, I have here, uh, he, he was described as owl faced in a lot of his, his roles. I'm like, that makes sense. And then, um, I, I, I wish they, I know they got Burgess Meredith to play the penguin in the Batman series, but this guy would have been the penguin like this. Like he looked like that. Uh, and then he was in something called Johnny cool. So close, but no cigar. Yeah, he he just he definitely looked like pissed off all the time, like the world had dealt him the worst hand possible before he even put his shoes on. Yeah. Um, 
he was uh, he was also um, most notable for being in the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, that's right. I, I failed to note that, but you're right. That's uh, that's on my list of shame of movies that I probably have seen by now, but I've not. I've, I've seen the remake, but I have not seen the original. The remake was cool, but uh, I definitely need to watch the original film. Um, so, all right, so I'm going to need your help on this one, Paul. So William Lantio. Yeah, Lantio. I think that's you know great. Great name. His name, Dolan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Only Twilight Zone appearance. The only thing I wanted to make of note, he had 37 episodes of the TV show Newer, Newhart. I almost said Newhart. Newhart, which was the 80s Bob Newhart series that uh, um, that I don't know if you are familiar with it at all, but that was the big thing where they had um, my name's uh, my name's Larry and this is my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. No, no, I didn't know okay. anything about that. Is this <laughs> did this play take place after the Bob Newhart show? Yes. So um that was the whole thing is that so he had the Bob Newhart show, uh, and then this one it was set like he was a um, an innkeeper in Vermont and it was called Newhart. So then that show ran for quite a long time. Um and then when he came back to do another series on CBS uh, he was like, well, you know, the first one was called the Bob Newhart show. And the second one was called Newhart. He was like, the third show could either be called Bob or the show. And it was just called Bob, which I thought was a funny joke because they just kind of, kind of kept dividing up his name as they made new shows with him. But uh, Newhart was was kind of a big deal for what it was. Like, I liked it. It was, um, you know, I, I like Bob Newhart. But um, it, that, I haven't seen that show in quite a while. But I remember it being uh, really entertaining when it was on. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to check it out, but the the other credit that he did have, uh, I have checked out, and I want to look more into it. He was in one of the one episode of the of uh, Monsters that uh, oh yeah yeah that uh, that show that we keep on talking about but haven't really revisited for a while. So yeah, we'll definitely do some Monsters. Uh, that's uh, that was a syndicated anthology series. I believe all three seasons are available on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit more low budget, but it's, it's right in that vein of like tales from the dark side. It's, it's a lot of fun, but that, yeah, we need to get into that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, next we have, um, Howard McNear, um, another, uh, like random dude in the background, which I don't even remember this name coming up, but Ranhoff Bramhoff. He was the one that was sitting beside, um, Oh shoot. Uh, the Groucho marks is sitting by Mr. Hugo in the boardroom originally. And so like the thing with him is that he was Floyd, the barber in the Andy Griffith show. So this was his, uh, only other twilight zone appearance. He was in, um, he was in one other episode, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, which I despise that episode with the passion of a, a thousand sons. Um, and so I'm, I'm, it's frustrating to me that it's like, Oh, Floyd, the barber, a guy that was actually like a breakout star on the Andy Griffith shows in two of the episodes of the twilight zone that I don't really ever want to think about again. Uh, we did a deep dive on his character, his, his career in that episode. Uh, just note that he had had a stroke before this and that like he could, he had problems moving around. So anytime they would ever film him, he had to be sitting down. So, you know, when you cut to the boardroom scene, they're all sitting down already when they cut to them later, when they're like looking at the, the play being done or like the, the practicing, he's already sitting down. Like he, had a lot of difficulties about halfway through the run of the, the Andy Griffith show because he had a stroke that just kind of wiped him out. And um, he still had good comedic timing for a bit. 
and then he ran into some um, just some problems later, just because it was all stroke related, and he didn't he wasn't around much longer after this. That's uh, a bummer. I, I I don't quite remember him from the Andy Griffith show, but I used to watch it as a child. So um, the only other credits I had for him is he did some voices, um, a bit voices on uh, the Flintstones. So. Yeah. So I mean, it's not to not to bring this down a notch because we're talking about like heart attacks and strokes and all that stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah, just if you guys want to know that the the whole sad story of um, of Howard McNear, go back and listen to uh, Hoax Pocus of Frisbee. Added bonus: I was drinking rum that night, and and the elevator went down pretty fast on me in the last fifteen minutes of that episode. So, if you want to know, if you want to know what the wheels sound, the wheels fall. If you want to know what the sound of wheels falling off is like, yeah, maybe check out the last ten minutes of that episode. <laughs> It was yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. tell us how you feel about it. Yeah, I was I was a I was a sloppy bitch. <laughs> oh, continue. Um, that's that admission aside. Uh, so um, moving on, uh, we get to our bigger name on this episode that I think that most people would know, Burt Reynolds. He plays Rocky Rhodes. Yeah. And um, please, what do you got about, what do you got for Burt Reynolds? I, I, I took some notes about him. So, all right. So this is very lackluster that he's in this, but his, his bigger credits, this was his only, uh, Twilight Zone appearance, uh, side note. Uh, he did Smokey and the Bandit, all three movies, uh, Cannonball one and two. Uh, he was on the original and the remake of The Longest Yard. And he was in 98 episodes of Evening Shade, Boogie Nights, and of course, his one of his best credits of all time, and it's an amazing film, Deliverance. Yes. So uh, it, the, the things I want to mention in regards to him being in this episode that you're like, oh, that all kind of makes sense a little bit. So uh, when he was in school, well, first he went to school for football, but he jacked up his knees and he was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, he was in English class that... Uh, the the professor is trying to get him to try out for a play, um, and he casts him in the lead um, based upon having heard him read Shakespeare in class, uh, leading to uh, Burton Reynolds winning the 1956 Florida State Drama Award for his performance. Um, so he was cast in this play that this his professor or it was doing based upon his ability to read Shakespeare, which I think is funny because. He is so like method in this episode, but he was actually originally noticed because he could do Shakespeare. And Burt Reynolds being Burt Reynolds, he said, I read two words and they gave me a lead, he later said, which I think is funny. Um, John Forsythe arranged a film audition uh, for Reynolds. The film was Sayonara in 57. Reynolds was told he could not be part of the film because he looked too much like Marlon Brando, which also ties in this episode because they're like, he looks like Brando. So I think it's funny that uh, he was noticed because he could do Shakespeare, but he was kept away from a certain film because he looked like Brando. So I think that ties into the episode actually quite nicely. Um, I didn't know this. This ties into things we've talked about recently in regards to James Bond. Albert R. Broccoli, who was the the guy who's who owns the reins to the Bond film franchise, asked Reynolds to take over the role of James Bond after Sean Connery was stepping away from it. That blows my mind. Could you imagine Burt Reynolds as James Bond? No, no but I mean, like snapping gum and, wonder- and having Dom DeLuise as his spy sidekick. <laughs> there you go. That would have been awesome. 
No, I, um, I just don't. I wonder what happened though. Like, why didn't he take it? So, well, but think about young Burt Reynolds though. It's like I can see why because he has a certain magnetism, and the reason he kept getting cast is because like they talked about how like ladies would swoon around him because he had this like he has this aura about him, and you can't deny it because he just has that way. Uh, and if you look at him when he was younger, he looked a lot like Sean Connery at the time. Like just like like if you put them side by side, they're not that far off from each other. But he said, an American can't play James Bond. It just can't be done. So he actually said no. So his big breakthrough performance was Deliverance, like you said, 72. Smoking the Band at 77, which I got to mention, that was the second highest grossing movie in 1977, just behind Star Wars. Like, wow. I didn't, I'd never put that in perspective. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, I mean, Star Wars, like, it was the one that was, like, far and away, like, the big thing. But number two was Smoking the Bandit. Um, so, and then of course you mentioned Boogie Nights, which he's great in that, even though he and, um, Paul Thomas Anderson evidently got into a fist fight on the set. <laughs> like he, he did, he always bitched about like his, his being in that movie, like Burt Reynolds not liking that, but that's the role that brought him back to like predominance. He got an Oscar nomination for that role. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I love Burt Reynolds. You know, he's, you know, he has some rough spots. He's a human being, but. I don't know. I, I love him. And it's, it's a bummer. He's gone. There is a charisma to just about every role that you can see him in. I mean, even in this, like it shines through just enough that you can see it's still Burt Reynolds. Like you see promise in this face and that like this, uh, acting ability that like shines through, through every role you see him in. And like, it's I when I was looking at his catalog or like his filmography rather, I did not know that he did as much TV as he did. I mean, he was even in fifty episodes of Gunsmoke. Like yeah. he did a lot of Western stuff too back in the day. That was kind of his big thing to start, but then he, yeah, it just the whole thing was like he would kind of play like a heavy and like kind of like just like a face, and he wanted a little bit more. Like and it just so he walked away from Gunsmoke. Uh, he walked away from a couple, like after a while, cause he's like, I, you know, I need something different. And he admits that he's picked, he picked some bad, some bad roles, but you know, he always, he just didn't really get typecast, which is funny because when you think about Burt Reynolds, now you think of smoking the bandit, you, you think of cannonball run. Um, like, and there's this kind of like Burt Reynolds mold that he never wanted to be typecast, but then he kind of created his own typecast in a lot of ways. Um, you know, for as long as I've been around, you know, living with Burt Reynolds being Burt Reynolds, you just all like, and even with, um, freaking Norm Macdonald's like impersonation of Burt Reynolds, like on Saturday Night Live, like as much as it's not, it's not him, it's still great. Like it's so dumb. It's like the gum snapping and just like the smart remarks that's like in the charm. Like that's what I think of Burt Reynolds. Uh, and even like, I, I don't know if you ever watched, um, my name is Earl. Um, he, he had a bit part on that too, as one of, um, he actually played Norm Macdonald's father, uh, in, in one of the episodes and Norm Macdonald's basically playing Burt Reynolds as like an asshole bar owner. And then you eventually meet his father as Burt Reynolds. And it's, it's really funny. That's cool. I think that one of the things that's kind of made, uh, like a meme of itself in some way is that his mustache, like oh, even yeah. people will be like, Oh, what are you doing? Burt Reynolds. And you, you know, it's like. <laughs> You know, somebody who just grows a mustache, like, oh, 
nice to meet you, Burt Reynolds, you know? <laughs> and then also in the, the cartoon Archer, uh, the main character Archer idolizes Burt Reynolds. So there was an arc later where Burt Reynolds, the, you know, Burt Reynolds was actually dating Archer's mother. And it was great. Like, cause it was like later, like, you know, towards the end of Burt Reynolds life, but he, since he was playing, you know, like voicing himself, they got to do a lot more fun stuff in terms of like, you know, like animating action and everything. But it was just fun seeing um, or listening to H. John Benjamin, like, like just kind of like be in awe of Burt Reynolds because Archer didn't like, he was conflicted because he held him up as a hero, but he was also banging his mother. Like it was this whole like conflict and it was great. It, it, it makes me excited that we had somebody like of the caliber that Burt Reynolds was to close out this season. It's just too bad that we had him in an episode like this, but it was just, it was gratifying to see that this season really did have some high caliber actors and actresses with and without like with, within the entire season. So that's fair. It was that, cool. that, that's accurate. So, all right. So I'm glad to say that I spoke more about Burt Reynolds than the film rad. Um, so what else, what else do we have here in terms of our cast and crew? Uh, if you've, if you've missed some people, I have some others. So I, I have two others. Um, so Judy uh, Strangage, Strangens, uh, uh, she yeah. plays Cora. Yeah, the it, young lady. That, yeah. that name's hard for me. <laughs> yeah, let me see uh, she, here. Sorry, go ahead. I was just trying to find her in my notes. I go, Please go ahead. Uh, so she. this was only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, she was also in uh, the Batman, the old Batman series. Um 70 episodes of Room 222. And then she was in a short run of some superhero uh, series uh, called Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. She plays Dinah Girl. Yeah, it was uh, a Marty Croft um, series, which um, I don't know too much about it other than a lot of their things. Like they did H&F Puff and stuff. And like there's a lot of like there's a lot of nostalgia for some of this, but there's also a lot of like, yeah, there wasn't a budget there, but that was her big, her, her biggest thing was that she, um, was, um, she was Dinah girl. So that, you know, again, I, you know, maybe I should have looked this up, but you know, I, I've heard the names before, but that's about all I know about her. It, it seems like it was kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, <laughs> the generic version of like Batman for that time. So they were trying to like capitalize on something that was super popular in the late sixties. And then it didn't really catch fire because it was only 16 episodes. So, well, but even like, was it three or four years ago? They actually, there was a movie put out electro woman, a Dinah girl. That was a lower budget comedy that had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the internet, uh, YouTube celebrity, Hannah Hart, who would do my drunk kitchen. Um, where she would just get sloshed on camera and cook and she has, she's rolled that into a career. So bless her heart. And I love her to death for it. It was her and one of her, her friends, they did a, a, a live action movie of a Electra Roman, a Dinah girl. And I've not seen it. I just, I watched the trailer. I'm like, Hannah Hart, I love you. I don't know if I could do this. Like it just didn't, didn't feel funny to me. So that's about all I know about that. Yeah. That's about all I got on her too. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh last for me is uh Clegg Holt. Uh Hoyt. Yeah, yeah. Clegg Hoyt. Yeah. <laughs> he plays a I don't know what the hell kind of name that is. Um he plays the bus driver, uh one other episode, and that was Static, and one episode of Star Trek. 
Yeah, this guy, uh, he just, man, if, if you would have cast him as an orc in Lord of the Rings, you wouldn't have thought twice about it. He just, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, you're right. He was in static again. That was season two when they did some of the like videotaped episodes. So I, I just feel bad for this guy. He just keeps walking into the wrong episodes. Uh, so I also have here, um, John Bowes as Daniel Boone spoilers, only Twilight Zone appearance was in a lot of Westerns. Surprising nobody. Rudy Bowman as Robert E. Lee, a lot of Westerns. Again, not surprising anybody. Paul Dubov as man. I don't know who he was. However, it's very important to note that he was in four episodes of Hawaiian Eye and one episode of Johnny Midnight. So if we're going to drag this thing into the, into the, like the, the, like the dirt alongside the road, we got to at least have those shows tied to this. Uh, John Newton as the TV interviewer, uh, his second appearance. He was also in persons or persons unknown. Diane Sayer, um, only Twilight Zone appearance. She's the TV actress. Um, I just want to mention she was, she was the blonde, um, on set. Um, cause there was two female actresses doing the rehearsals. She was the blonde, not Esmeralda or whatever the other lady's name was. Um, so she was in a film in 1964. So like after this called kitten with the whip, um, just, I want to mention this was directed by Douglas Hayes, which Terry, you, you have not experienced Douglas Hayes as a director. He was one of my favorite Twilight Zone directors. He did the invaders. He did like he, he and Rod Serling, they, I don't know, like he was the perfect director for a lot of the Twilight Zone and he didn't do anything past season three. Um, so she's in a movie that he directed and I feel like I need to watch it. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, and it's also called kitten with the whip. Like how do you, like, how do you not want to, the, the title probably would never live up to the film, but how do you not want to see that? Uh, Leslie Sketchley, which sounds like a Simpsons character name, uh, as Abraham Lincoln, uh, only Twilight Zone appearance, only time playing Lincoln, which is bizarre to me because most people that are cast as Lincoln have played Lincoln multiple times over their career. You know, if you're eight foot tall and can wear a hat, you're Lincoln. Um, and then Jason Wintergreen was the director. He was the one, the TV, like he was directing the TV episode. If you remember, he was the one that was getting pushed back from, uh, Burt Reynolds about how to do a scene. Um, this will blow your mind. Third of three Twilight Zone appearances, uh, the midnight sun of stop and Willoughby. Uh, he was in one episode of phrase nightmares. That's not what's going to blow your mind. He was the original voice of Boba Fett. Get the hell out of here. He was uncredited, but he was the original voice of Boba Fett in Empire. Um, and I think it also uh, Return of the Jedi. And it was one of those things that until Star Wars magazine revealed it, no one knew or cared. But then the moment it kind of came out in like the 80s, he got so much fan mail. He was annoyed by it. But that's the original voice of Boba Fett. You know what? That is so crazy because now that you say the, the fan mail thing, I heard about this dude and how he... He really didn't dig the fandom that came along with <laughs> no, it. No, not at all. Like, <laughs> like it's like I those got. things where it's like, hey, I did all this other stuff. Oh, I mumbled some lines with this guy wearing a trash can on his head, and now suddenly you want to talk to me? Like, I can see how I'd be annoyed by that, too. Like, I fell into a Sarlacc pit and made a screaming noise. Like, that's that's what you want to talk to me about? You know, I wish I could stumble into that kind of fandom. I wish. Me too. Give me something like that, Hollywood. <laughs> like, if I was to become the next Wilhelm scream, I would be okay with that. 
Yeah, there you go. That, yeah, let's get that going. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, that was that's a lot of cast. So, yeah. Um, let's just let's certainly take it away. Um, spoiler alert, people. There's annoying sound effects and music that goes along with this. Blah 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 blah. Here we go. You've just witnessed opportunity, if not knocking, at least scratching plaintively on a closed door. Mr. Julius Moomer, a would-be writer who, if talent came 25 cents a pound, would be worth less than car fare. But in a moment, Mr. Moomer, through the offices of some black magic, is about to embark on a brand new career. And although he may never get a writing credit on The Twilight Zone, he's to become an integral character in it. So, Terry, I didn't think when I pulled the card, when we talked about the parallel of, you know what, nothing happens to this episode let's just move forward and kind of talk a little bit about it. If that was, if that was the draw to, I want to lay down the wild draw for, for this episode. Um, and you know, we can talk about a little bit about it, but I don't know if this episode is worth 45 minutes worth of discussion. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I think that you, I, <laughs> I've tried to be like, try to be as diplomatic as possible about our views uh, and like maybe where our fans might lie on their views. This was a rough episode, man. And if the parallel was kind of like our guide, if we liked or disliked the next following episodes that come afterwards, man, we screwed up because. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, okay, let me let me give the long and the short of the episode, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. How about that? Uh, Julius Moomer, and goddamn, as much as I love Rod Serling, clearly it's, I've been doing this show for about four years. His comedy names drive me up a wall. But Moomer is this guy who is not a good writer. He's just one of those guys that uh, just, you know, he wants to be in the action and wants to prove that he can do it. He's just hounding Mr. Hugo to let him have a chance. Hugo for whatever reason has sympathy for him. And there's a pitch coming in for a black magic show of some sort. And he's like, well, I can do some research. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. He, uh, convinces Hugo to let him write a script that's due like Monday in the evening. So then we get the sequence where Moomer goes to a bookstore and it is one of the worst things I've seen in the history of this show. It just drove me up the wall. Uh, the owner of the bookstore, I, and I know it's play for comedy, I really felt like she was portraying mental illness and that's not a joke. Like almost like a Asperger's kind of thing because Oof, yeah. she was so fixated about the, the game, yeah. like had all these facts about the baseball game that was on. Yeah. And it wasn't funny. And he asked for a book about black magic and then it, it, it flies off the shelf with a sound effect. And we should mention that the whole thing, when he gets dressed down in Hugo's office about his ideas being bad, you hear, you know, like it's, it just keeps going and going and going. It is, it just, it's all telegraphed and not funny. Uh, but he goes to take this book of black magic. He reads it on a bus and starts practicing the spells that causes the orc driving the bus to get mad at him. And so Moomer gets kicked off the bus, but the, the book flies back into his hand with a sound effect. Uh, and so then, then he starts doing this black, black magic ritual in his apartment and there's a whole sequence there where the, the, the young lady Cora is talking to him and every item that he uses for this, the spell 
is not right. And you keep hearing sound effects to show his ineptitude with this. And it just, it drives me nuts. Uh, but it turns out the last bit that he needs to, to make the spell work is just to say the name of someone to summon. And he inadvertently says something about William Shakespeare and Shakespeare just shows up and Shakespeare seems relatively chill that he's got summoned by black magic. Just want to point that out. He never questions that it happened. Yeah. And he, he knows the name of Moomer as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I'll like, speak in the genie. parlance of the times. Like he like that genie from uh, the episode, a few episodes ago where he's like, Hey, you know what? I can talk like the kids can talk today. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not more or less like, why did you take me from my time period? It's you summoned me. What do I need to do for you? Yeah. So then, what it becomes is that uh, Moomer eventually realizes that like he has the bard, and like don't waste him on a uh, pilot for a black magic show. He's going to write something important. So he he convinces himself that he's going to collaborate with Shakespeare on something. But what it just turns out is just him letting Shakespeare work by himself and Moomer dreaming of all the things that he's going to be doing because of this great work that's coming that he didn't write. And if there's, if there's one thing at least from the story that bugs me is that it, I get that this is all played for comedy, but it's just that we talk about like season four and we'll get to our wrap up next week there's these repeated beats that happen over and over again. We spend way too long of him congratulating himself and his visions of grandeur throughout the middle of this episode. Yeah. It takes so much damn time that it's like, what the hell else is going on in this episode? Like this is one of those episodes that I, I desperately wanted a smaller compact version of it. And we could have just moved on. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, so, uh, little little behind the behind the scenes, a uh, uh, little inside baseball here for everybody. Uh, when we do these episodes, um, I'll watch it blind um, once just to kind because of, I want to watch the show and enjoy it. I don't want to overthink it. I just want to watch it. And then I'll go through and do my notes about cast and crew, and then I'll watch it a second time to pick up audio that I want to use during the episode for us while we're recording and then also to, to actually kind of drill down into the notes. Here's my admission. This is the first episode of the twilight zone so far that I kept hitting the fast forward button while watching it the second time, just to make sure I caught the story beats. I couldn't deal with the 52 minute runtime and I kept fast forwarding it the second time through. And if that makes me a, um, uh, if I not turn in my card for being a um, an observer and um, you know a critic of the Twilight Zone as we go through it, fine. I just couldn't sit there and watch this thing for its full runtime a second time. It just annoyed me that and, much. And I agree with you, Paul. Like this was the first episode of this season in particular where I sat down and was like, "Do I really need to go through this again?" I honestly felt like I had everything in my head. There was no, there wasn't any, there wasn't so much of a hidden meaning here. I think everything was like right up in front of your face. Yeah. There, like the dialogue was so, I, I don't know. It was so drab. It, like this episode just felt so 
deflated. It it was like it was a, it's such a shell of what I expect from a Twilight Zone episode. And I've we've seen so many good ones in past seasons, but this one, I don't know. It was like for the last episode, this is what we had, and this is what we we're going to have to yeah. leave out. I have four season note. And it's like anytime the Twilight Zone goes towards comedy, and I'm not saying that it can't be a vehicle for comedy. I just, I, I hate to say it. I love Rod Serling. I don't think he can write comedy. I think this is not his wheelhouse. And some of my most frustrating episodes of the series are him trying to write comedy. Like I mentioned Hocus Pocus, Hocus Pocus from Frisbee. I believe he wrote that one. Um, he wrote the whole truth, which drove me nuts. There's, um, it's one about a car that this used car salesman can't get rid of because anytime it's around him, he tells the truth. Not well. Um, and then there's, um, a couple different guardian angel episodes that just drove me up the wall. I just, I think, I think Sterling is capable of being witty. I think he's capable of landing a joke, like to break up tension, but if he like leads in full tilt to do, I'm doing a comedy script. I don't think he can do it. I just don't think like not everybody's good at everything, right? Like some people, if you give him social commentary and give him a soapbox, you're going to get some amazing things because he's a very thoughtful man. And he's, he's and a very, true. He's, he's a witty man. He's just not, God damn. This one was just a, a frustrating. It's 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 really really true about what he's able to present as like hard like hard truths and what what we kind of like hold the mirror up to ourselves uh, as a product you know like he he can he can tell everybody what this is what's going on in the world and kind of present it on that format and then give like kind of jabs at what we might think is somewhat funny but it's. It's it's like not funny, haha. Um, when he's trying to do something like this, it it feels so. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. It feels um, like somebody else should be writing this. Like it feels like he should have gave somebody else the reins on this one. Yeah, and 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 uh, this was actually one of the last um, one of the last go rounds that he had with Robert Hirschman, the producer. Because, I mean, if you look at the way the episodes actually aired, Hirschman looks like he was around for the whole season, but he really kind of wasn't. But he, this kept going back and forth. Hirschman didn't agree with some of the comedy. And there's this whole thing. It was just like, you can tell there's a lot of tampering. Um, but Serling wanted to like die on this hill for the script. And I think where I think that he is very passionate about it is that we've not gotten there quite yet in terms of like talking about the story is Shakespeare finishes the script. Uh, Moomer turns it in. Uh, everybody agrees that it's like this amazing idea and script, but the, the dialogue is so uh, archaic because it's Shakespearean surprise, surprise. Uh, and also want to mention here, Shakespeare keeps quoting himself the entire time. I hate that so much. I hate it so much. It's just a dumb gag. Uh, it just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, you know, it's like, I'd like to quote me in something I said that was much better in another episode. Um, but there's a bit we have like the agent you have the TV people, you have the sponsor people around the table reading the, the table read. And the, the thing where I think that, um, Serling is making good critiques about there's, there's two things. One earlier, whenever Hugo is saying your ideas, you're pitching me are bad. There was the half hour series called the millionaire, but you wanted to turn it into an hour and call it the multimillionaire. And that didn't work. I don't, I think Serling was like, Hey, 
you took my half hour show and turned it into an hour. It doesn't work. I think that's commentary. Uh, but then when you had the ad guy saying, what's this talk about? Um, what was it? Uh, there was some kind of um, vegetable. Onions. Onions, right? And they're like, yeah. what if it was a turnip? It's like, turnips are good. Um, Sterling kept running into, over the course of uh, presenting scripts for The Twilight Zone, um, he said, uh, I... There was one one of the earliest episodes that was a Judgment Night uh, where um, there was going to be a tea service because it was a British boat and the sponsors are like, well, can it be coffee because we sell coffee? And it's like, fine, we'll do coffee. Like, that's how like how particular they were about everything. Um, and if you can hear, there's fireworks going out behind me. I guess people are excited for this episode. I don't understand. I, what With this current social climate, why is fireworks a good idea to fire off right now in the middle of a city that's trying to calm down after protests? Sorry, just throwing it out there. That doesn't seem like a wise decision to me. Great. Um, Anyway, can you hear the fireworks going on right now? I can. I just thought they were you, like getting more and more upset and beating on your yeah, desk. No, 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 it's people are firing <laughs> off fireworks. It's like, Hey, you know, it'd be pretty great now. Fireworks. Yeah. Anyway. So no, there were like, uh, certainly even was quoted as saying like, um, uh, he, you know, there was like the overcautious executives. They said one could not ford a river. If Chevy was the sponsor, like that's his commentary about this, like word choice and product placement, was big and and one of the books that I have for reference went into like great detail at times of the different types of sponsors would be like yeah but can you change it to where it's better for us and it would be like these obnoxious things that he's commenting on in this episode so I get that Sterling's trying to like you know lay some haymakers about like what it's like to write for television so I appreciate that I just don't think the jokes are great no I I agree and you know and like the sponsorship thing is it keeps on going and going and going. Like it even happens in sports. I remember when basketball was facing this, but probably like four or five years ago that they were trying to put sponsors all over the team's jerseys and stuff like that. It's so ridiculous. And I don't understand why that it just can't be the product sells itself and, you know, take your commercial bits when you can. Why do we have to have, uh, you know, uh, product placement and all that? And I, I understand that some of this was uh, a platform for Rod to speak out, but I don't think it's it, it sold the message well enough. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, you get to once they get to the actual rehearsals, which there's this whole other plot too with Shakespeare being upset that Moomer's taking all the credit, and rightfully so. Like Moomer is like he is just patting himself on the back and doing the song and dance and I hate Moomer so much and Shakespeare's like well I'm about to leave and Moomer's like why we could go to Hollywood and see you know ladies and you could keep writing your things he's like well I'll consider it but I'll go to the rehearsal and then like a minute later Moomer's like wait William Shakespeare's going to go to the rehearsal he can't do that like whatever like sitcom 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 when we get to um the actual like um rehearsal um you have all the ad people along with all the TV people. And we, that's when we have Mr. Shannon who like, it's funny to me that this was 63 that he sounded so much like older Marlon Brando. Like, I, I don't know if you picked up on that where it's like, he just sounded like, you know, 
like past, like I'm talking like um, Island of Dr. Moreau Brando. Yes. And it was like yes, this yes, weird yes. thing of like, I was like, how did they predict that that's older Marlon Brando with like where he has like cotton ball stuff in the sh- side of his face as he's talking? Uh, Cause you have overweight Brando and then they're seeing Burt Reynolds over there. It's like that Rocky Rhodes. He looks like Marlon Brando. It's like, yeah. And you look like Marlon Brando too. You just don't know it yet. Dude, you're killing me right now. Like, how the hell did you think the exact same thing that I was thinking? Because it's, it's I, like fireworks like it, are going it, off in our brains right now, right? Like, just okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm right. gonna close that window. Uh, Maybe that will help. That's obnoxious. I apologize. It's almost like watching this episode again. I don't like it. It's it's all the synapse going yeah. off in our heads right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he sounded like Brando, didn't he? Like, I can't, I it, can't no, do, I, a, I can't do a Brando impersonation to save my life, but. Yeah, it just sounded like older fat Brando yelling at younger, good-looking Brando. No, it's it, it, I, <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I thought the exact same thing, that it sounded like old Brando while, uh, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds is trying to personify the method acting of, like, younger Brando. And it was really kind of fun to, like, see both of them in that same kind of room uh, portraying both both sequences you know it was really weird actually it was weird because it's like you had no idea that's what was going to happen to brando but yeah uh so that would be it's like unintentionally funny but yeah so i i so the bright spot of this episode for me is burt reynolds because he leans so hard into the method actor which is a thing that was up and coming at the time. And there's just that bit where he always, his head's always to one side as he's talking to anybody. He's just like this, he has this, like this, this, this dickish aura about him. And it's like, that is funny to me. And there's the bit between they're about to do the different takes. He's just like, huh? Huh? like he's like getting into like character or something that like no one else could understand, but it all makes sense in his own head. And I liked that take of that character. Cause he was so self-important and took his craft so seriously. I liked that bit. It, yeah. He's making like bowl noises or something like that. And then doing shadow boxing, which is really <laughs> freaking weird. <laughs> yeah. Like what's my tertiary motivation. It was like, that was the whole thing was, um, it was, that was funny to me. I'll give him that. But then like Shakespeare shows up, knocks over some music stands, which is funny to me because like Moomer and company are on the far side of the room this entire time, but it takes Shakespeare like knocking over things for Moomer to notice him. It's like, that that seems like you would have been on high alert for Shakespeare showing up. That's just me. But you find out over time that one Shakespeare is not happy with Rocky Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes is not happy with Shakespeare. And then you also find out that the majority of the script or the play, whatever you want to call it, that Shakespeare wrote was being changed significantly to make it appeal more for television. And Shakespeare did not like this. And, you know, I understand uh, changing the script and everything like that, but where the hell did Moomer think that this, this, I I guess three act play was going to transition to a show? Like well, I did, he, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. He, he said he said it was going to be a, like a one hour film when he pitched it to Shakespeare, which if you look at Playhouse 90, those were 90 minute episodes. So having a one hour film for television wasn't like that wasn't out of the question. Then I don't think this was supposed to be an ongoing series because he abandoned the black magic thing 
to to have Shakespeare write this. What's it called? The um, I have it here written. What was the name of the thing? The vicious circle. It was that's tragic circle. Um, that's what this was called. So I think he was like putting all in on this, being like, "This is my one-hour TV movie, and this is going to land me." Uh, but everything kept getting changed, and Shakespeare was kind of pissed about it. Which again, you know, it's Shakespeare. Like other like. <laughs> I don't know. Like he, the character of Shakespeare being brought here understood his own importance of his existence in time. So yeah, I think I'd be pissed too if I didn't get final edit on my work. And he's just watching everything else collapse. Like, okay, so maybe Jeremy wasn't played by a 19 year old or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, like here he's not agreeing with um, the, I forget the name of the the female character, but she wasn't portraying the the female role what Shakespeare planned out to be either. There's no balcony. So it's like these little things that Shakespeare is finding out one scenario after another scenario after another. And then finally he just gets up and he just he's he's done. He he's lost it. He's pissed off. The one thing I like though is that uh, again, it's just a small touch and it just shows to how television will sell its soul to try to get additional things. Uh, one point Moomer says to Shakespeare, he's like, doctor stories are really big this season. It's like, you could easily see that that Sterling probably got notes over and over again, regardless of whatever he's working on. Of like, Hey, you know, doc- doctors are big. Can we make this guy a doctor without any, like, like um, I heard a story today. I was listening to another podcast and, uh, one of the stories was that someone had submitted a script that actually was involving a um, like a, a Kiss style band that had been around for years, and it was like this like dealing with like being on the road for so long, blah 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 blah, and it was getting some traction. But then some foreign investors came in and said, "Hey, can we change this to a K-pop band that's just starting off?" And it's like that's completely different than what this is. So I can see Surly getting a lot of this feedback and being annoyed that the people involved that have the money don't understand the creative process. So again, I could appreciate this dialogue as commentary on all of that. I just don't appreciate the execution of it. No. And that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. It's a, you know, if he needed something to kind of get a, a point across, this probably wasn't even the right kind of series to put it in either, because here, a lot of the episodes that we've gotten to to this point aren't really comedy driven, but this happens to be one where he needs to make a point and it has to be comedy related. It it's just it just it felt really disjointed. And it, like that's the best word for me. It it just didn't feel like anything really fit together. Like it was a puzzle of three different puzzles that just kind of got thrown onto the floor and it's like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, Shakespeare gets pissed uh, and goes up and confronts um, Burt Reynolds, which by again, taken by itself. And it's just a gif Shakespeare punching Burt Reynolds is amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like He just gets so mad and punches Burt Reynolds. It's like you're punching the bandit. Hell yeah, you are. Uh, and then, so then Shakespeare's out, he leaves. Uh, so then you would think that Moomer learned his decision. Nope. Uh, he goes to use black magic again, which 
can, can I just state for a moment that the music felt vaguely racist? I don't know how to paint that other than like, I heard like a tribal drum and then like a, like, um, like a middle, like a, like a, like a, like a snake charmer flute. Like, I don't know where they were going with the music, but none of it felt good. Like none of it felt right as he's like summoning things. I don't know. It just felt weird to me. Um, but we find out that he has a history project that he was assigned to after the success of this other script. It all ends with him going into Mr. Hugo's office saying, I have my research team and <laughs> Terry, I have to admit to you in light of everything going on in the world right now, when the first person that walks in the, his office, that is his team is Robert E. Lee. I was like, you're effing kidding me. Right? So that was the first one. Uh, then general us grant and all of them had a music cue. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Pocahontas shows up, uh, Daniel Boone, Teddy Roosevelt, Ben Franklin. Um, and then like Hugh, like Mr. Hugo's like, just like awestruck by all this. And I'm just like, yeah, Bill and Ted did this better. Like, I feel like if they, they brought these guys in to write a history report, I think that, I think Bill and Ted handled this better. Um, you know, they took, they took a Napoleon to the water park and they taught him to like Ziggy Piggy. You know, like they, he taught him like ice cream, you know? Um, but did you pick up at the very end whenever Moomer was like shaking hands with everybody, he stops and does the, the how to Pocahontas. I was just so mad at the end of this episode. I'm like, really? You're going to end this on this? Like, it's not funny. It's tone deaf. And it, this is not aged at all. Well, and that's not something I would normally th- put at the feet of Serling. This this just left a bad taste in my mouth at the end uh, after being annoyed the entire time with this episode. I agree. Like this, the, the end of this episode is just so it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help me understand the rest of the episode any better. And it just pisses me off about this, <laughs> end of this season that much more. And I completely agree with you on the um, the Robert E. Lee thing. I was like, I looked right at my wife. I was like, huh, that's topical right now. <laughs> oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, just like this, the whole, like, I, I mean, outside of Pocahontas, I could say something bad about every one of those individuals that came through that room, but that's for a different podcast. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, like it, really made me think about Moomer as being a complete idiot the entire time that much more. Like it yeah. emphasized the fact that he was a he was a hack. He was a uh he was a jerk off. He I just didn't like him at all. Uh I think he was portrayed well. Now that I look back at it, I think he was portrayed well because I hated his character and the actor portrayed that so well and i even when he was in the other episode um prior like the the other twilight episode he was a he was an asshole in that that episode too yeah but at least he was more more human there like to begin with and then whenever everybody started like not trusting each other he got right on board with it you're right um i put in my notes that i feel like that he was a distant like maybe not so distant cousin cousin of horace ford that we just saw it's like these two would have been in the room together and would have been like 
I feel like these guys would have been like roommates in college and one of them would have just never shut the hell up about the street he grew up on. And then Moomer would always be talking about like, I got the zombie story, right? But it's like, he just walks weird and it's a thing that happens. I feel like those two would have been best friends and never heard a word each other said. That's what Honestly, I, I don't know if Moomer would have made it to college. Like I, <laughs> This guy was mm-hmm. such an idiot in this episode. Like yeah. he was waiting for people to say the right thing. And then he's like, yeah, that's what I meant. Like th- th- that's what, yeah, that's what I was going with. And Hey booby, you know, like hear me out. Like all these stupid things he was saying, he just, he felt like a, like a, I don't know, some shysty dude you would have seen on East Ninth, you know, like trying to sell you something. He, he's, he's John Lovitz's character from SNL. Of the, yeah, that's the ticket. That's him. Like, you know, no matter, like people are going to give you, they're going to say things to you and you're just going to bounce off and roll with it because you have nothing better, you know? And like, so, um, you, I'm sure you've run into not maybe not people as infuriating as Moomer, but he has the spirit of I'm going to make it. I'm going to do this. You can't tell me no. And so his willpower will drive him places that he has no right being and his output's still garbage. You see, I'm sure there's plenty of movies, TV shows, music, whatever. They are like, yeah, I can do better than this, but I have the self-aware knowledge that, this will take hard work and effort and critiquing and development. So I know I can do better than this, but this person doesn't understand that. And they've somehow sledgehammered their way through and they've gotten farther ahead than me. That's a moomer. And I don't like those type of people. These kind of people piss me off because it's not about aspirations. It's not about like the, the drive or goal. They just look at, well, how can I fool people? Well, I don't and think, I, I don't think, I, I don't think Moomer was trying to fool people. I think he honestly believed that if given the proper chance, he could succeed. I think he was how always had his eyes on the success of like, like once I make it, this would be amazing. It's almost like that, you know, step one, uh, take all the underpants. Step two, question mark, step three, profit. It's like, he never understood step two. But he always was like, oh, I'll write I'll write the world's greatest script. Step two, how do I write that? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Maybe step three, I'm going to be in a Cadillac smoking cigars, taunting this young lady that lives next door to me. Like, it just felt like this is, Moomer would have willed Birdemic into existence if given the right, like, opportunity. <laughs> Birdemic. Okay. <laughs> or like, or like, you know, like, or like the room, like Tommy Wiseau, you know, like he, he just happened to have enough money and he just never took no for an answer and just pushed it through, you know, like there's these types that if they're in the right situation, they get things made and you're like, how, how does this even function? Why is this even a real thing? And there's these people that don't seem to have a, an ability to take criticism or understand what is necessary to make something good. But they understand that if you put pen to paper and write X number of words, it can be made. It doesn't mean it should be, but if you have the position of getting it made, it's going to happen. And that that's how I kind of feel about him. 
And I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just, I've seen plenty of people like this and I've seen people that have made it and I don't, I don't, I don't understand it at all where they've come up with the moxie to get further than what Moomer has like done in this episode for us. And that somehow one way or another, they made a name for themselves and they're making money. <laughs> but I think they're they're hacks and they're like con artists. But yeah, it's know. like it's almost as if there was an entire film production company called the Asylum that makes money <laughs> um, doing something similar. I don't know. And just, just, hot just, take. <laughs> yeah, hot take. Yeah, Ooh, it's, <laughs> it's searing hot. Um, so yeah. Uh, um, so. The, 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 I, whatever this episode, I don't, I don't really have other notes. I have a little bit of the trivia. Did you have any other notes about this? Cause honestly, I'm surprised that we've gone this long talking about this. Cause I told you before we started recording, I was like, if we go an hour and a half, something went wrong or right. But then I also forgot that I am a faucet that doesn't stop. So that's probably my fault. I also talked well, about, the I'm glad that, sorry, go ahead. I'm glad that you pushed. No, that's good. I, I, I'm glad you pushed the fast forward button through most of this episode because we gave everybody the meat of this. I don't know if there's really much to read into it. Um, you know, and we've talked about like the highlights of what yeah. Rod wanted to get achieved out of the message. And yeah, I'm good on the notes. Yeah, a, a, lo- <laughs> a lot of gristle, no sizzle. Uh, so uh, this was actually remade uh, into a segment called Act Break uh, in um, the Twilight Zone 80 series. So that might be worthy of revisiting because, you know, they did revisit some, some original episodes in the segments in the 85 series. So that might be interesting to go and see what they did with this. It might be, it might be more to your liking of since I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen the 80 series, but I feel like a lot of those episodes were an hour long, but with like three short stories that this might fit better in that type of time frame you're talking about. So, um, the other thing I want to mention too, I've never seen the series of the Sopranos, but this was the episode that, uh, in the last episode of the Sopranos, uh, Tony Soprano is, was seen watching this episode while hiding from his enemies in a safe house, which I just got to point out. I don't know who made that decision, but I, I think Tony Soprano deserved better. I don't even know the series, but come on, really? Like this is the one he was watching. Maybe, maybe this is what drove him I don't know. Like I know the series ends kind of like on a cliffhanger, but maybe he's like, you know what? Life is not worth living. I've just seen the bard. I need to get out of the safe house. I don't know what happened, but we, a weird choice of episode to show for the Sopranos. I, yeah. I didn't get that one. I, I saw that note as well. And I was like, there could have been one would have made more sense as far as substance and how it would have related to him being in the safe house and everything. But I don't know. Maybe yeah. it was just something that didn't cost him anything to show. They, I don't they get could it. have picked a nervous man in a $4 room in which a guy is uh, tasked with the idea of having to go kill somebody because he owes money to like a um, basically organized crime. And he has to make the decision of either going to kill this person or to say no to the person forcing him to do the job. I don't know. That might've been a better one. That's just throw that out there. But yeah. So yeah, this episode. So, I'm just going to, because this is, we got to do this because it's, it's law for Strange Highways. We just got to rate the twist. If the twist is, is that I somehow thought that the season would not have bottomed out as hard as it did here at the very end, 
I would not have seen that coming. So I'll give that a four. I feel like this is when I pull my car into a driveway. It's a little too steep and I go to back out and it just scrapes the bottom. I'm like, son of a bitch. That's how I feel like this episode landed with me for the season. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I, that's, I was, I was literally thinking the same thing that if there was a twist, that would be it. And, uh, cause I, Moomer didn't learn anything. He didn't learn a goddamn thing in the episode. Uh, the, the, so if the twist is, is that try it again, like there's no twist. It's just, it was all comedy throughout, which is okay. Cause the twilight zone doesn't have to have a twist. It doesn't have to have it. It's just what it's known for. That's why we have the twist rating, but it would have been nice. Maybe, maybe it would have been nice to have like him summon Shakespeare. Shakespeare writes it for him and he submits it. And the thing is, is that like he knows it's good, but no one else believes that it's good. Like this whole thing of like, like really, like, are you trying to ape Shakespeare? You come up with better things. And then it, the whole twist would have been like, I literally have Shakespeare writing this for me. And you're telling me that this is like, like third rate Shakespeare. That would have been funnier to me. I would have, I would have taken that. That would have been great. If, if we could have had something like that, I think that would have been a lot more engaging to the viewer. Uh, I mean, even if, if he would have somehow learned his lesson and, and taken a different approach to everything that I would have wanted that too, but we didn't get any of that. He was still using pigeon feather feathers. He was still using Jersey sand. Like, I, I don't know. I like, I, maybe, maybe my twist, if I wanted a twist and I didn't get it, it was the fact that he was using generic items for the black magic he was trying to do and still achieved what he was trying to do. That pissed me off. I was like, so he's not using what they're calling for and he's still able to achieve the exact same thing. It's like, no, this isn't like the the good value version of what you're trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah. You can't achieve it. Would have been would have been great. Like this guy shows up, looks like an English playwright, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I am the bard," and he writes the stuff. And it's like, this is like this is like shitty. What's going on? It's like I thought you were Shakespeare. It's like I never said that. Like I'm like I'm Shakespeare's neighbor or something. Like that would have been like funny if he would have like summoned like like Shakespeare's lesser cousin or something. You know, like Steve Shakespeare. Or something, you know, like that would have been, I think that would have been way more entertaining to me. Yeah. I mean, especially if at the end he, he realizes that, uh, I don't know, the pigeon feathers are, are gone and he's still trying to achieve the same thing. And then he really goofs everything up at the end. And now like everything has changed. I don't, I don't know. Like I just didn't expect everything to work for Moomer because he just seemed like a complete idiot and he made everything work to his advantage still. I mean, yeah, sure. The, the script didn't get bought out or whatever, but they were still giving him a chance. It's like, that pissed me off. Yeah. Like what if they would have summoned somebody that he thought was Shakespeare and this guy was giving him bad stuff. And it's basically the Shakespeare equivalent of time and age to a Moomer, like trying to prove himself. I think that would have been, interesting to have him be like, this is, this is not great. Can't you do better and realize that he's basically yelling at himself the entire time that would have least, I think would have felt more appropriate where there's a lesson to be had that you can't shortcut it, but whatever. Yeah. 
So I guess the twist, I guess the twilight twist on me is the fact that he was still able to achieve the, the spell without having the actual things that he needed. So right. <laughs> thanks yeah. twilight zone. You got it. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our discussion about the Bard. I think it's going to do it for uh, season four, uh, except for like next week, we're going to do a season four wrap up top three, bottom three. Um, spoiler, I, this this one might show up again. We'll talk about it when we get there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing else. So you guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. Uh, we have an email, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, next week is season four wrap up and review the week after, uh, we'll talk about that when we get there, we have something fun planned for that. And then, and then the week after that is going to be, um, the Jordan Peele season two of the current twilight zones dropping. And we're going to go through that episode by episode. So I'm super excited to get into that. So it's going to be a delay between season four of the original series as we conquer season two of the current series. And then we'll be back in the fall doing season five, but yeah, we're through season four, Terry. This has been uh, to quote James Cameron in regards to um, his film aliens, 40 miles of bad road. I don't think all of it has been bad, but there's been, there's some, been some rough stretches. So this will be an interesting talk next week about our thoughts about the season. Yeah, I'm excited to, uh, get into our next adventure because uh there has been some rough road here so well, I, some, yeah. some rocky way, road would you call exciting. it some would you call it some rocky roads is that what you call it uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this is wow so this is like a cartoon anvil hitting us in the heads we're just done so um, that's, I think it's going to do it for us. I think, I think we're good. I think, <laughs> I think we're good. That's going to do it for our talk about the bar next week, season four wrap up. In the meantime, everybody have a safe week. Um, and if you're going to do black magic, use the, use the right goddamn ingredients, please, for the love of God. And if you're going to provoke somebody, don't let them punch you while they're wearing like leotards. No more.